Amen. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. We'll start in 2 Timothy tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And you ever read along and you just kind of notice odd words in the Bible or just kind of a word jumps out and you kind of notice it and then you think about it and then you think about all the other times it shows up and maybe you don't do that. That's what you do when you're a preacher. You think of these, you know, I think everybody does that. You just kind of see a word and then you're kind of like, hey, I like that. And then kind of start looking at phrases and words and kind of, so I'm just going to look at one word tonight. We're just going to kind of look at a few spots. We're going to Whatever time we've got, that's how many I'm going to do, all right? Uh, so I can, I got six of them, but I'm not going to do all six of them tonight. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 and uh, verse, oh, we'll pick it up in verse number 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But not thou that, uh, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles." For the which cause also I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You get down to verse, there, verse number 12 there, and there's that really long word, nevertheless. I just always think that word's a strange word. Uh, maybe, I don't know, if, if you think it's weird. I, I think it's weird. It's just kind of an odd, odd word. You don't use it very often, right? I mean, we don't use that word really, ever. I don't know that I think I've ever used that in common language. Well, nevertheless, I guess I'll, you know, we don't really use that one commonly very often. Uh, it's, it's a word, and it is a word. It's a compound word, obviously. It's nevertheless, right? Uh, the idea is that although these things are going on right here, we're still going to go about what we need to do anyways. That's kind of the idea. The idea is although this is going on over here, nevertheless, we're still going to be having this thing go on over here. It's kind of that bridge between those two thoughts and the two ideas uh, that they go together, but they really juxtapose each other almost. They're kind of not, not on the same realm. You wouldn't normally put those two thoughts with each other, uh, or continue that idea. In spite of these things, we're still going to have this. And so you see it here uh, in, in the first spot we'll be tonight, and it's the idea of not being ashamed. Even though suffering is happening, even though problems are going on, even though it looks bad, I don't have to be ashamed. Uh, because of the, the reason I'm doing these things. So let's go to Lord in prayer. We'll kind of look at the word nevertheless tonight. Just kind of hit a few places and, and see what the Lord gives us. Father, I thank you for the night and for the goodness of a God who loved us enough to send his son to die for us. We do pray you would bless our service tonight. Be with, uh, Lord, those who couldn't be here because of sickness or because of travel and different things. We pray you would just bless them tonight. 
Lord, we pray you would be with our service, be with the Word of God as it's preached. And Father, as we look at its pages, I pray you'd give us a clear sense of the, of the book tonight. And Father, we pray you'd come back soon to take us home. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here he starts off with, uh, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Uh, oftentimes people get ashamed because of the suffering. Notice the, the idea is I, I suffer these things. Well, what does he suffer? Well, it's, it's the idea of him going and preaching and the reason he's preaching and then that causes suffering. Uh, right? You get over to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, that we're, we suffer as a Christian. The idea is there's a certain cross that is born with the idea of preaching the gospel and being a witness and being a testimony and having all the things in the right order that we're supposed to and the idea of living right and trying to do right and trying to be all that we're supposed to be as a Christian. The idea is that with those things automatically comes a level of suffering because the world wants to make you feel ashamed that you're a Christian. It's strange to me that being clean and being good and being right with the world becomes the moniker of them trying to make you feel bad for being so good. <laughs> right? Isn't that strange? Well, why you got to be so good about everything? Why is that a bad thing? Why is being You realize that the world holds up these guys who play sports and do all these, and they do these things really well. They're great at those things, right? And that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to be good at sports. It's not bad to be talented. You get somebody who's really talented, and they, they tell you, well, they're good at it. <laughs> okay, well, could you be good at being good? Wouldn't that be something that's all right, too? Uh, the problem is they praise men for being so awful and terrible. They make other people, so you start to, the idea is they try to make you feel ashamed of being a witness for Jesus Christ. They try to make you feel ashamed of being a Christian. They try to put down those ideas and the ideology of what you and I have. And the truth is, he goes, well, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Knowing that he's going to be imprisoned, knowing that he is, notice that's part of what it is, right? He's been imprisoned. Don't be ashamed of me. The testimony of our Lord, verse number 8, nor of me, his prisoner. Uh, he's been put in bonds, right? He's been arrested. He's been convicted. He's, he's under house arrest. Going to, that's what he is. He's a prisoner. And he's under this suffering because of the testimony that he's had. And you and I can understand, you know what? It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what they like or what they don't like. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. We had... We had some visitors on Sunday, uh, and uh, so some of our newer visitors, they've only been coming for about a month or just over, something like that. We were trying to figure out exactly how many weeks we were talking. The cherries they brought, he, his parents came into town, and uh, you know we were, we were talking a bit after the service. They're saved folks. They seemed really great. They go to a church and, uh, down there where they're from, and, and uh, you know we were talking about the gospel, and, and, all, and, and they said immediately, they said, uh, you know, we were talking about broadcasting and all these things, you know, because he works in the sound. Praise the Lord. And uh, he's with me. So what's that? I don't want a video broadcast. So just so you know, I don't like it. I just don't like the idea of it. All right. So if you want that, I'm sorry. That's that's. <laughs> It's not on my list of things to get done. All right. Uh, and so we're talking about that. We somehow got over there. And you say, uh, what's one of the problems? The problem is I don't need the world looking in anybody who wants to can just look in and see what goes on in the church they don't need to if you want to see what comes on in the church show up right that's just that the church assembles 
That's what the church does. And so uh, just anyways, I'm going to get off on that stuff. Uh, but one of the things I, I was saying was I don't like that idea because they have enough arsenal without me giving them more. Uh, they have enough, right? We're in, a, we're in a culture today of canceling everything that you don't like just because you don't like it. Right. I, well, I don't like what you said, so you're done, and we're going to try and eliminate you and destroy you. And right, it's just stupidity, is what it is. Anyways, uh, but the truth—that's what it is. And you turn around, and you know what you do? You you don't need to give them that. Why? Because they already don't like you. And their statement about it, their their reply to me was, "Christ is divisive. That's what he is." And that's the truth. He came not to he came not to bring in unity. Right? He didn't come for peace. He came to bring a sword. And he divides men. And he moves people. You know what that does? That puts them at odds with you. And you know what they try to do? One of the greatest weapons they use is to try to make you feel ashamed of all those things. Make you feel ashamed of being a Christian. Make you feel ashamed of, of joining up with Jesus. Make you feel ashamed of being good. And Paul says, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> do whatever you want to. I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be ashamed to be a witness. We need to get it a little nevertheless mindset when it comes to those things. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter all the things. Nevertheless, in spite of that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to still be a witness. I'm still going to try to do right. I'm still going to try to live the way I need to live. I'm still going to do what he asked me to do. Why? Because it doesn't really matter what they think. I'll suffer as a Christian. I'll go ahead and do that. As long as it gives my God praise and honor and glory, that's what he deserves. And so you can do that. Nevertheless, look over at chapter 2 here. Paul really likes the word nevertheless, in case you're wondering. He uses it an awful lot. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, I like this one. 2. Study to show that, verse number 15. 2 Timothy 2.15, I didn't tell you that, I'm sorry. Uh, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom uh, is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Uh, he, says, he says there, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Uh, know this much right here. If you're saved, the Lord still knows you. Uh, even when you're doubting what he's doing, even when you're unsure of what's happening, even when somebody's trying to tell you all the lies that don't really matter, even when you aren't really, right, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. He's got it all under control. Uh, when we're doubting His goodness, when we're doubting how wonderful He is, when we're doubting uh, His mercies and His compassions that we understand they fail not, but we feel like they're failing today on occasion, right? You ever feel like he's just, he's just not getting it? He's just not coming through. Pastor's been preaching on, Pastor Legault's been preaching on those storms and the reasons of the storms and those things. When those storms come in, sometimes we wonder, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? Doesn't he love me? Isn't that the Job, the Job mentality? Uh, you look around, God doesn't, God's nowhere to be found. 
And the truth is, he is able to be found. He'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's right there with you. He knows, he knoweth the way that I take. And when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. Oftentimes we doubt and we get into doubting and we get into being unsure and our faith gets shaken in what we know is true, but we just can't seem to hold on to it for a moment. And our eyes come off of the Lord and we start to sink just a little bit. The Lord goes, hey, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. I was just talking, I, I was with Elizabeth, we were talking there and, and in the office and I was going through the scriptures and she prays and she gets saved and I, I looked at her and, and I, I said, you know, do you feel any different? It's one of my favorite questions to ask somebody after they get saved. Do you feel any different? Because almost invariably, the only thing that they can say about it is either one of two things. They either say, not really, or they say, I'm happy. <laughs> That's about it. You know why? Salvation is not a feeling. You may feel a little lighter. You may feel that burden type of a thing, and you may have a little bit. But the truth is, you think back to the day that you got saved, I'll be an ex outside of being excited and happy and joyful, maybe you had some peace that you didn't have before, maybe you understood that. The reality is that there's no real feeling that goes with salvation. Because salvation isn't a feeling. It's all about a promise that God made and you took God at His word and you took the promise and received it. It didn't change your feelings. It changed the fact. <laughs> The fact is that you got Jesus Christ as your Savior now and you're going to heaven for all of eternity. That's why it's not a question of, well, the Lord feels it. No, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Uh, earlier in the, in the book, nevertheless, I am, not uh, I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him. I know these things. I know whom I have believed. Well, you get over to 1 John, right, and you get down to... Uh, uh, chapter 5, and if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Why? Because it's not about a feeling, it's about what we know to be true. It's not a question of those things. So our doubting starts to happen and we start, you know, second guessing what we know to be true. And God steps in and goes, no, wait, I know. <laughs> I know. And if he knows, it doesn't matter what you think you know. That's the difference. The difference is he knows what you've done. He knows when you called upon him. You remember the day and you look back at it and we get into these weird things. Weird things. Did I believe right? Did I? Did, what? That, what? That question doesn't even make sense. Did I believe right? How do you believe wrong? What did you believe in? Did you believe Jesus died for your sins and he was buried and he rose again? Did you ask him to save you? Okay, how did you believe wrong? Like, was there a wrong way to believe? You can't even quantify that statement. There's no real answer to that question because there is no wrong way to believe. If you believed him, that was all it took. You either believed or you didn't believe. You can't kind of believe. It's a yes or a no question. It's not a maybe. There's no maybes. Because all the maybes go over to the no side. You either believed him or you didn't. And if you believed him and you received him, you're done. That's it. That's salvation. But we get into these weird things. You get into discussions with people who have no idea. And they're looking at you like, what do you mean you can know you have salvation? Well, didn't you ask him to save you? Well, yeah, but can't I lose it? No. 
There's a million verses practically on the idea that, hey, I, there's no way you can lose. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. How about that? And they follow me, and I give on to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I know. He calls them by name. He knows them so well. He just calls all of his sheep by name. He knows. So nevertheless, when you start doubting how great God is and how wonderful he is, the fact that he saved you, the fact that he keeps you, the fact that he does all, when our doubts start coming in, you know what we need to go? Nevertheless, <laughs> this book is still sure. The foundation of God standeth sure. This book is still it right here. And you know what it says? That God which cannot lie promised. <laughs> That's your promise. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He gave a promise. And his promises are always true. Galatians chapter 2. I'm excitable about this. I, I like that word. I, I decided I really liked the word nevertheless, in case you're wondering. I may try to incorporate it now into the everyday speech. Nevertheless... Galatians chapter 2, this is probably one of the ones that everybody in the room knows, all right? Right, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, you're still living, even when you're crucified. This is the strange part of the Christian life right here. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Say, so what's, the, what's the difficulty here? The difficulty is you still have to remember one thing. Your flesh is still trying to win. You woke up this morning, I hope, and you got down on your knees and you prayed, and one of the things you prayed was, Lord, please lead me, please guide me, take control, right? Do, let me do things the way you want them done, right? Our goal is, Lord, let it be your will instead of my will today. And we pray that, and the idea is we're crucifying, right? I am crucified with Christ. And we're going, all right, we're going to go ahead. I died daily, right? That's the moment. We're in the moment, and we're going, all right, I got to die daily. And you and I realize very quickly that our flesh didn't recognize the fact that you tried to crucify it a moment ago, and it tried to get back up as soon as you nailed it down. That's the nevertheless. This one is a cautionary one is the cautionary one of it is not a here you go, you crucified your flesh, you got saved, you trusted Christ, the flesh got crucified this morning when you woke up and you did your job and you got it right and everything's good to go, except that everything's not good to go. Because <laughs> your flesh still wants to have control. It still wants to run the show. It still wants its way instead of God's way. It still wants to have what it wants to have and it's still running after those things and your flesh is never satisfied. It wants and it wants and it wants and you go ahead and go, all right, I'm crucifying it. Good, crucify it. But remember, it wants to get back up. It still wants to run the show. It still wants to be the boss. And it's amazing and I've done the illustration plenty of times, right, of the guy with the car, you know, the preacher gave that illustration, and we drive, and Jesus is my co-pilot, right, and he's got the map right next to me, and he's going to tell me where to go, and I figure if I'm driving, I'll listen, and he'll, he'll tell me where to turn, and I'll go that way, but he'd tell me to take a right, and I look down that road, and I don't like it, so I don't turn. 
And so you figure out very quickly, it's, this isn't working so well, let's switch seats. And so I get into the passenger seat and the Lord gets in the driver's seat and I've crucified my flesh now and I've gone over to the, the other side, I'm going to let him drive. And so he's driving, the only problem is he'd go to take that same right that I didn't want to go down and he goes to make that turn and I go, whoa, 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 I don't want to go that way. So he wouldn't turn because he's not going to make me go. And so then I had to get out of the, out of the passenger seat because I was too busy telling him what to do. I got into the back seat, and the problem with that is I was a back seat driver, and I was telling him where to go still. So the truth is, you had to get out of the car, have him open the trunk, climb in the trunk, close the lid, and, have him, and say to him, you just take me where you want me to go. Because that is the only way that he'd ever get to have real control. Because if you could see everything that you would have had to go through to do the things he asked you to do, you'd be suffering, right, earlier, suffering. You'd, you'd see those sufferings and you'd go, I don't want any of that. The flesh goes, I don't know. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to do that. I don't want to take that way. I don't want to have that problem in my life. The difficulty with troubles are that that's the same God who comforted us in all our trouble so that we can go ahead and comfort those that are in any trouble. <laughs> with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God, you wouldn't be able to help anybody else out if you didn't go through any troubles. That's why your troubles come. Troubles come because you need to go where somebody else is about to go. And somebody helps you get through your troubles so you can help somebody else know how to get through theirs. But your flesh wouldn't go through any of that. It'd gladly bypass all that if it could. We gotta, you just got to remember, guess what? In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to form that which is good I find not. Paul's going, Romans 7, that which I would I do not, that which I would not, that do I. Back and forth he goes, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Paul, Paul understood real quick, you can crucify all you want to, but you better make sure you keep it down. You better check those nails and drive them back down because your flesh the whole time is just trying to pull away, try and gain control again, trying to get what it wants. And if you're not careful, you'll look around and you'll say, oh, I've got victory over there. And that'll be the place you become weak again. It's the caution. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Now the goal is, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. <laughs> the goal is to let Christ live. But the caution is, you're still there. The flesh is still around. Hopefully you'll be living by the faith of the Son of God. It's the caution between the two. You want, you want Christ in control. But you have to be careful not to let the flesh back in control. Hmm. Do you want one more? I don't want to end on that one. I want to do a better one. I got a couple that I don't want to do right now. Because I want to do better. So let's go 2 Peter chapter 3. Last one. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you want the other two, I'll just tell them to you, alright? Because I'm not going to preach two points uh, at another time. Uh, Matthew 26 Around verse 39, nevertheless, do God's will even when you don't understand it. That's a good one, all right? 
And then number number five was uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. And you get fruit even when it hurts. So, just so you know, that's, that's a good one. Uh, all right, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening, hastening, hasting, there we go, unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Uh, nevertheless, uh, even when nobody else can see it, even when the scoffers are there saying, where is the promise of his coming? Even when people look around and they go, ah, oh, it can't possibly be happening. Remember one thing, there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth, even if nobody else sees it but you. Nobody else can, nobody else can pick it out. Nobody else can understand it's coming. Nobody else knows. You can be sure that although everything looks terrible here, and no matter what everything else is looking like with, with politics, with a world government, with money, with everything, doesn't make a difference. Because you know what? There's a new heavens and a new earth. It's coming, and you've already been promised it. And you can look around even when everything else doesn't look right, even when the world doesn't like what they see, even when the world wants to make fun of you for the idea that you are going ahead and where's the promise of his coming and since the Father's, everything continues and a bunch of foolish Christians. Nevertheless, look up. Your Savior's coming soon. You and I are getting out of here. And when we do, shortly thereafter, We'll come back, and then he'll melt the universe. <laughs> and right after that, we'll get a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I like that little phrase, by the way, at the end. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Because you look around at this world, and there's a whole lot of unrighteousness. You look at this place, and it's fully tainted. You look even at a universe... And we marvel at the stars, but the stars are even unclean in his sight. So he wipes it all away. He folds up the heavens as a garment. And he puts it all away. And then he goes ahead and he makes a whole new one. And in that new one, you know what you get? Righteousness. New start of righteousness. That was his goal in Genesis chapter 3. That man messed up right there. And he goes, you know what I'll do? I'll just make it all righteousness. I'll clean it up. You know, it's funny, in the, in the millennial reign, when Jesus Christ comes back, it says the Lord will bear his arm. And he works to 
rejuvenate. All That's the only time the Lord rolls his sleeves up. <laughs> remodels, right, Brother Bacon? <laughs> he remodels the earth. Worst thing ever is a remodel. Everybody who does construction, you know, we hate remodels. Everybody. <laughs> I hate remodels. Right? Best thing you can do on a remodel is tear it all the way down to the studs. And even then, a bulldozer might be better, all right? Because new is always better. It's always easier to fix. It's always easier to put up new than it is to go ahead and try to retrofit whatever garbage was done before you. And the Lord goes, you all ruined it so bad. He bares his arms. He rolls up his sleeves. He cleans it up for the millennium. The world goes against him. He melts it with the elements with a fervent heat and destroys the entire of the universe and says, forget this job, I'm just going to start over. Because that's the only way I'm going to make it as clean and, as, and the right way I want it to be where it dwelleth righteousness. He eliminates the whole thing. You know what you and I have? We have a part in an eternity. And in an eternity with the God of the universe who's going to make all things new. It's going to be amazing. And I like ending here as opposed to that last point. Lord, I thank you for the night. I thank you for your goodness. I pray you would keep everybody safe as we go. We love you. Lord, please do come back soon. We'd love to see you even tonight. Lord, be with all the prayer requests we heard tonight. I know there was a lot, and I know, Father, lots of cares and concerns on people's hearts, but I do pray that Jesus Christ would be at the forefront of our minds and how wonderful it's going to be one day when we finally get to see you. Lord, we pray you'd bless our night in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good night.